this morning, we're taking sort of a little bit of a, a sidetrack here in the message, a little bit of a sidetrack, um, still sort of in, in, I guess, the theme of relationships. But I really felt like the Lord wanted us to bring into focus one attribute, one of the key attributes that he alone possesses, um, and that is the fact that he is, um, he is omniscient or all-knowing. You know, but believe it or not, wives, husbands are not all-knowing. You know, Becky often thinks I should just know what she's thinking. And uh, Does anybody else have that? And you're like, I know it drives her nuts, you know. I'm like, um, context? Like, just blurt something out because you're thinking about it. And you, you, you realize, and I know I do it myself too. You realize, oh, that's right, I'm thinking about it. You don't know what I'm thinking about, you know. I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but anyways, yeah, yeah, it, it happens. <laughs> but God, unlike us, is all-knowing, omniscient, and we find evidence of this in many, many, many different verses. I'm going to run through some. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And you'll know some of these scriptures might have a different effect on you being having the covers torn off and you're laid bare before him it's a little creepy a little uncomfortable right like what are you creepy don't, don't be looking at me you know it's okay bear with me here okay so these scriptures are gonna have different responses but but this reality nothing is hidden from god's sight nothing first john three twenty. if our hearts condemn us sometimes our hearts condemn us and guess what we're not supposed to follow our hearts our hearts are deceitful above all things. Our hearts might condemn us, but we know that God's greater than our hearts. He knows everything. Psalm 147, verse 3 through 5. Um, oh, I'm apparently skipping ahead here. If our hearts condemn us, and God knows everything. I forgot to put this one in. First John 3, 20. Nope, Psalm 147, verse 3 through 5. God heals the brokenhearted. Isn't that awesome that he does? He binds up our wounds. He determines the number of the stars in the sky, and he calls each one of them by name. The, the girls just took me down to the science center yesterday, and there's a lot of stars out there. The more technology we get out there into our universe, the more we realize that uh, it is vastly larger than we could have ever imagined. But God knows every single star. He calls them out by name. Great is our Lord, mighty in power, his understanding has no limit. Of course, most of us are familiar with this account. The resurrected Jesus, he's alive again. He meets up with the disciples and eats breakfast with them. Jesus then asked Peter three times if he loved him. Not coincidentally, it's the same amount of times, right, that Peter denied even knowing Jesus on that night that he was betrayed. And then... Jesus sends this way. In John chapter 21, verse 17, it says the third time he said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. He knows all things. You see, the cool thing is since God exists like outside of time and space, he is eternal. He exists outside of it all. That means that all of creation is always before him. All of creation, all of time, it is always all right before him. That's why he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is why he has perfect, prophetic, accurate insight. Because to him, 
the future, it's happening right now, it's going to happen, and it already happened, because he can see all of time in front of him. He knows exactly what's going to happen, when and how and why. But realizing that God knows everything, that we are fully known, it's something that we may not often think about, because it makes us a little uncomfortable. I know it makes me a little uncomfortable, at least. It can be a little creepy, a little intimidating. It can even be a little embarrassing. There are things about me that I wish weren't the case. You know, that I don't want anyone knowing about me. Hidden things. So it can be a little embarrassing to consider that God knows us that well. He even knows our intimate thoughts. He knows everything about us. In fact, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he knew this truth. He knew this truth, but he didn't fully realize really what that meant until he was taken into the very throne room, standing before God in heaven, being in the presence of a holy, perfect God who knew everything about him. It broke him. Instantly he cried out and he said, Woe to me! I'm ruined! I'm a man of unclean lips! I live among a people of unclean lips! My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty! You see, God not only knows us perfectly, this is really cool, he also loves us perfectly. He loves us perfectly. And his love, the scriptures teach us, casts out all fear. And with that fear gone, all of our shame and embarrassment and intimidation, everything that accompanies it flees along with that fear. And that's what happened in, in verses 6 through 8. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand from the fires of God, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. When he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin has been atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. You see, he went from, woe is me, I'm unclean, I'm ashamed. Once his sin was atoned for, here I am, Lord, here I am, send me. Do you see what happens when we encounter the fire of God, the atonement for sin, when that stuff is burned away? Isaiah hadn't changed much, he'd just been forgiven. His sin was atoned for. That's all that happened, and he just was, oh, here I am. It's awesome to think about. That's what the love of God does. It cleanses us. It purifies us. It burns away everything that we are not, so that all that remains is who the Lord declares we are. That's what the fire of God does. It burns away all of those things. We see the same thing, same thing happen on the day of Pentecost, and then, you know, in all the accounts following that. When people were baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit of God, those fears burned away. They weren't hiding away in the upper room anymore. They were out there boldly proclaiming this Jesus whom you crucified. There was a boldness that rose up. And the only thing that had changed was the fire of God through the Holy Spirit. There's something that changes when we are forgiven of all of our sin. We're not ashamed of it anymore. It has no hold on us anymore. Right? There's something so cool, an incredible peace, an assurance and confidence that rises up from just knowing that we're accepted by God exactly as we are, 
and that we are changed and transformed by him alone that, that just causes this boldness within us. We're not ashamed of who, who we were or even who we are now. It doesn't matter what people say about us because we are accepted by God. We are loved by God. Nothing else matters. Fear of man is just shaken off. Who cares if I'm singing off key and off pitch? I'm shouting my praises to the Lord. I don't care what Stan thinks. Who's he anyways? <laughs> There's a boldness. Look at David. When the presence of God through the Ark of the Covenant, when it was brought back to where it belongs among his people, whew, you talk about, uh, we, had, we had family game night yesterday. Just a little rabbit trail here. And uh, by that it meant we were, we were grinding up the deer that Becky hit with our car. You know, it's a whole brand, whole brand new family game night. And I'm cheap. I'm cheap. We've got the cool vacuum sealer, but we still have the hand crank grinder. So, you know, the whole family takes turns. And I thought about calling up Tim. I'm like, he could have this done in five minutes. But why not spend four hours as a family wearing ourselves out, you know? <laughs> it just, it, it really brings you together when you serve together as a family. But, um, man, when David was bringing the Ark of the Coming Back, what was it, every seven steps? They, they, they butchered, a, and, 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 pff, talk about the joy that was in that place. And of course, David, he embarrassed Michael because he's all in his undies dancing around. He didn't care what people thought of him. He was the king, and he had no shame, no embarrassment. He was fully known by his God, and that's all that mattered. There was an abandonment in worship. And I'm t it may just be me, but you can tell how bound people still are by sin or a religious spirit, by, by their expressions of worship, you know? You need to be a free people. Nothing matters. God fully knows you, and he accepts you just as you are. When his forgiveness manifests in your life, you feel his love, his mercy, his grace, his peace, his joy. This, this power enters our lives and casts out all fear. When we approach God, we don't have to be afraid anymore we don't have to experience the the pain and the frustrations anybody ever been misunderstood by somebody they just thought something about you and there's nothing you could do to shake that from them they had this this preconceived notion of who you are and what you're like and you just couldn't shake it no matter what that's who you were to that person or misunderstood or being rejected being rejected i know that you know people get to know you and they're like you're not who i thought you were and then they're gone and it's like and then you're afraid to be yourself around people because what if they reject me too? What if they find this out about me? You know, the fear that rises up and causes you to, to clam up and to shut down. There is such freedom. Freedom that the Spirit of the Lord gives for you just to be you. Just to do you. There's a freedom. Whew. Religious spirit doesn't like that at all. It is not welcome. Anyways. But all of us experience that from time to time. Some of us experience it more often than others. You're just a little odd and people just can't accept you. But being prejudged, having preconceived notions about who you are and how you think and whatever, it's, it's heartbreaking. But this will never happen when it comes to God. He knows us fully and entirely. And that doesn't have to cause you to be ashamed or embarrassed or uncomfortable. His understanding of us is complete. He knows exactly who you are and why you are the way you are. Sometimes you ask yourself that. Why am I the way that I am? He knows. Ask him. 
because he is the one who formed you and created you. His understanding of you is complete. Even the sin in your life, even the thoughts that, 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 that aren't from him, they don't stop him from responding to us with acceptance and love and compassion and mercy when we cry out to him. In fact, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what did he do? He didn't hide from them. They hid from him. He pursued them. Their sin didn't keep him from them. They kept them from him. There's a vast difference there, right? The sin in our lives, it doesn't cause God to be like, ew. You know, whenever your kids are all snotty and everything, and they're like, oh, I love you, you know, those big open mouth kisses when they're toddlers, you know. It's gross, but you accept them anyways, and they put a big smile on your face. You know, that's how your father sees you too. You come to him as girl grimy and everything. And what does he do? He takes out his hanky and he cleans you all up, right? That's who our father is. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be embarrassed. You are already fully known by him. Nothing is hidden from him anyway. So just go to him as you are and see what he can do. Through Jesus, we can have confidence and boldness when we approach God, right? That's what the scriptures teach us. Hebrews 4, 13. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's right. You're accountable for the life that you live. But therefore, and we always start here. Therefore, you need to see what the therefore is there for, right? Go back and see. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way that we are, yet he did not sin. Did Jesus ever sin? I'm tired of reading these Barna surveys saying that the church doesn't know these, these doctrines. Did Jesus ever sin? The, the, the word's pretty clear about it. He did not sin. He was tempted. Isn't that, that I'll tell you what, this is one of the ways the enemy keeps you you're trapped. Some of us believe that because we're tempted, we already sinned. That's not true. Jesus was tempted in every way that you were, every way. There is nothing that you can take to Jesus that he can't relate to you about. Every way Jesus was tempted, yet he didn't sin. He never gave in to it, right? He never gave in to the flesh. He always lived by the Spirit. So verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Don't go to God because you're perfect and holy and don't need him. Go to God... Because you're not perfect, you're not holy, and you desperately need him. Don't clean up your life before you go to God. Go to God as you are and let him clean up your life. It's such a lie of the enemy to, to, to set it up the other way around. You know, I, I had friends, you know, that joke all the time, like, you know, that but I can't go to church because, you know, walls might cave in or fire might fall, you know. It's like, no, 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 just. And we've had people visit, you know, it's, it's funny. I'm like, well, I guess, I guess we're good because <laughs> it's still here. But, you know, we joke about it, but there, there's a truth they believe to that, that they're not good enough. And they know they're not good enough. And, and so they stay away from the presence of God. We can have confidence to enter boldly before it, right? 
we can have confidence because we're also never going to catch God off guard or unaware, right? And again, we can go on and on and on. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 through 8, Jesus said, When you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. They think that they, they, they will only be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Your father already knows what you need before you ask him, right? Sometimes we're afraid to ask our father for things. You know, I, I don't know how many times I got myself into a mess in life because I was stupid. <laughs> I did what I knew I shouldn't have done. And, you know, I feel guilty asking God to bail me out of my situation because I know what I did, right? But that's not the case he knows what you need before you ask him just ask him anyways you know man you know what nate goes and gets buried in a ditch over here he doesn't be afraid to call me because oh you know like well what were you, we're on your phone again were you messing through you know don't be afraid of those things like i want to come bail you out and help you our heavenly father is no different right he might give us a little talking to afterwards to keep us on the straight and narrow but He's going to clean us up. He's going to take care of us. He's going to bail you out. This is who he is. He's just that good. And, and the coolest thing is, even if we don't know what to pray for, or how to pray, or how to cry out to God, we have a perfect intercessor through the Holy Spirit, right? Romans 8, 26, 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. He who searches our hearts knows both the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people, in accordance with the will of God. So, like, he knows us fully, and he knows the heart of God and the mind of God fully, so he intercedes perfectly for us. We don't even need to know how to pray. Just moan and groan and cry out to him, and that's a perfect prayer, you know, to pray in the Spirit. God knows us so well that not only did he know us before we came to know him, he knew us before we were ever even conceived in our mother's womb. This is an interesting biblical truth that really kind of messes with your head. Not only did he know us before we knew him, he knew us before we ever even like existed. I mean, of course, we know Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is what the Lord is saying to Jeremiah. Before you were born, I already set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before he was even in the womb, Really makes you start thinking, right? God truly knows everything, everything that there is to know about us. And there's so many scriptures I'm not even going to cover this morning that, that tell us that. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And of course, we've got to go to Psalm 139, right? This is such a one that we know so well. But, but think about this reality. He knew us before we ever even existed. Um, David cries out in Psalm 139. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. You perceive even my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with every single one of my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, you already knew it completely. You hem me in behind and before. Such lofty knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to even attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely, darkness will hide me. 
and the light will become like night around me. Even darkness is not dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I fear you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever even came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, yet I am still with you. There should not be a shadow of a doubt that God fully knows us. I could go on and on and on from so many different scriptures. We are fully, individually, thoroughly, completely known by God. And understood by God. He can relate to us. God knows all of our weaknesses. He knows our sin. He knows our past mistakes, our failures. He even knows the sin that you haven't even conceived of yet. You haven't even committed yet. He knows it all. And yet still he calls us. Still he equips us. Still he strengthens us. Still he commissions us. Still he entrusts us with the entirety of his kingdom. If we want to put an end to sin, if we want to put an end to shame, if we want to put an end to condemnation in our lives, if we reach a point where we're finally done with it and we say enough is enough, I'm sick of this thing, hold me back and hold me down in life. If we want to be powerful witnesses for Christ in a lost and hurting world, then really what it is is it's the, the religious masquerading that needs to stop. This is one of my favorite albums of all time, by the way, if you know TFK. But anyways, um, the power that the enemy has over us the foothold, the stronghold that he has in our lives, it exists in the form of concealment. It's what we keep secret that gives the enemy a foothold or a stronghold in our lives. It's those things that we hide in shame. When we expose it to the light of Christ, Satan loses the grip that he has on us. He loses it. There is freedom and there is healing found in the confession of our sins. And no, we're not Catholics. I don't have a booth over here to come confess my sin, your sins to me. I can't do anything about your sin anyways. Go to Christ. He's the one that's going to intercede for you. But there's something powerful when we confess our sins to one another. The scriptures tell us that there's healing and freedom in the confession of our sins. But think about that. God already knows it all anyways. And it's him alone that we have to answer to and give an account to. So why fear anything that man thinks of you? Why not just let it all loose? Be transparent, be honest, right? In fact, Jesus warns us about this very issue. He calls it hypocrisy, right? Putting on that religious mask so that you look, look right and talk right and act right and, you know, you're accepted by the church folk. But Jesus warns us about being hypocrites. And really, hypocrisy, that's what it is. It's concealing your sin, it's acting like it's not there. It's acting like something you're not, right? Concealing it. Jesus taught us in Luke chapter 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many, many thousands had gathered. Whew, it's a pretty good church service, right? This is like a conference. Thousands of people were coming to hear Jesus speak. In fact, there were so many gathered, they began trampling on one another. Jesus first, <clears throat> first spoke to his disciples. And he said, okay, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. 
which is hypocrisy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. There's nothing hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark, it'll be heard in the daylight. <laughs> I'm making say amen to that. How many times have you said something yet? Especially in front, trust me, if your kids in children's church, there's no secrets in your household. There is no one more honest than a child. They do not keep secrets, you know. My daddy's got angry issues. <laughs> that was one of Becky's favorites here recently. <laughs> I love it. <coughs> kids are just honest, and I love it. But to be accepted by the Father, we're supposed to be childlike, right? No shame, no fear. We're supposed to come to God in the same way. Jesus um, reminded us that everything that's concealed is going to be brought to the daylight anyways. He said, even what you've whispered in your inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. So why do we keep things concealed and hidden anyways? Mostly because we're ashamed of them, we're embarrassed by them, we, we fear what people will think of us. That's really what it comes down to. I'm afraid of what people are going to think. People think I'm this, you know, I don't want to ruin that. I don't want to ruin that reputation, you know. Well, but in all honesty, what's the worst that people can do to us? They can gossip about us. They can, you know, malign our reputation. They can say whatever they want to say. I mean, really, the worst that they can do is kill us, right? And the good news is, either way, no matter what people choose to do about you, you still win. You still win. Jesus said in verse 4, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the ones who can kill the body and after that do nothing else. Can't do anything else after that happens. Fear the one whom after your body has been killed, who also has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you the truth, fear him. But, so Jesus talks about throwing people in hell in case you're wondering about that. Right here it is, Luke chapter 12. Luke's good book. Um. God's the only one to fear. He's the only one you have to answer to for your life. The only one that you have to fear. What he thinks about you is the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter what other people think or what they're going to say or what they're going to do. God alone has all power and all authority even to throw us into hell the second death. He doesn't want any of us to have to experience that. That's far worse than any earthly death we can receive. But how does he treat us in light of all that authority that he has? In verse 6, Jesus reminds us that five sparrows are sold for two pennies, yet not a single one of them is forgotten by God. Jesus said in verse 7, indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. They're all numbered, every single one of them. Don't be afraid. You are worth. You are worth more. What does Jesus just say? You are worth more. Than many sparrows. You are worth so much to God. Not only does he know you and love you fully and completely. He values you. He values you so much. He didn't hold back even his own son. Even his own son. From suffering and paying the price for your sin. He did nothing wrong and yet he paid the penalty. But he said, you're worth it. In fact, Jesus didn't do it unwillingly. He struggled with it, didn't want to take on the cross. But yet he submitted to the will of the Father. 
because he also realized it was worth it. You were worth it. You were worth the pain and the suffering. But here's the concern that God has about all of this. Jesus goes on in his teaching. He said, you are worth more than many sparrows. He said, but I tell you, in verse 8, whoever publicly, there's nothing private about Christian faith. If you're living out your faith privately and quietly, you're doing it wrong. Your faith is actually dead. It's useless. It's worthless. And I pray to God that you come to realize that before you stand before him, thinking it's going to save you. Jesus said, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But, and what are buts in the Bible? Buts are big in the Bible. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. I know it's going to go a little longer this morning, but I'm going to do a little side teaching here, okay? It's interesting that most everyone has decent things to say about Jesus. We even learned a few weeks ago, even Muslims say he's a good prophet and teacher, right? You know, people are cool with Jesus. They're cool with God the Father, right? However, when it comes to the things of the Spirit, do people not have issues do they not gripe and complain and, whew, that's weird, that's bizarre, I don't want anything to do with that. You know, what are they talking about? Baptism in the Holy Spirit, that ain't biblical, well, it's in the Bible. Speaking in tongues, that ain't for today, well, Paul said, I wish all of you would do it. I mean, we're good with like, you know, 95% of all of this. It's, it's good, it's best, it's amen, it's for today, and then, whew, Corinthians, I, you know, Paul's just writing that one church, that ain't for today. Those, those cease, they're gone. Salvation's still for today, but nah, those other things ain't for today. Like, I mean, I, I don't know how you get that from reading this, but some people believe that. It's interesting, and you know why? You know why, you know why, you know why? Because of the scripture. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, teach things saying that this is something that humans are incapable of doing. Only angels can blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you know? Or, you know, it's only the people that were alive that day looking at Jesus and in the, you know, because we, we don't want this to apply to us, but I can't stand on that biblically. I just can't. Things of the Spirit are often made fun of, spoke poorly of, despised even by churches. The gifts and the operation of the Holy Spirit that we find all through the scriptures that Paul encourages us to earnestly seek after. Earnestly seek after all the gifts of the Spirit. And he said especially prophecy. Why? Because it builds up the whole church. Those things that the scriptures tell us to earnestly seek after... The thing that Jesus died so that he might fill us with the Holy Spirit, the church wants nothing to do with. Why? 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 Everything else is accepted and encouraged and still for today except for the moving and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm going to kind of skip a few things here and continue on. Um, but this is sort of the question that I posed to you. Why would Jesus take time to warn a group of many thousands why would it be recorded for us today if this was something that we weren't even capable of doing? Why would Jesus warn those thousands of people about blaspheming the Holy Spirit if it was something they couldn't even do? That just, that's not, why would he waste his breath with that, right? Why would he do it? 
In Matthew chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus says that this sin will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come. We're reading from Luke. Matthew recorded that last little bit, too. He must have been closer to Jesus and heard him a little better. I don't know why he recorded it and Luke didn't. But blaspheme, the Greek word blasphemeo, blasphemeo simply means abusive or humiliating speech. It means to utter false statements or charges toward. It means to injure the reputation of. It means to speak evil of. So whether or not we are capable of committing this sin, I mean, that's something we can debate and argue. But regardless, we got to be careful when it comes to the way we speak about the Holy Spirit and the things of the Spirit, especially when they're black and white in the scriptures. We've got to be really careful speaking against these things. This is a really cool thing about the Holy Spirit, no matter what you think of him. In verse 11, Jesus goes on, he says, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, authorities, don't worry about how you're going to defend yourself. Don't worry about what you're going to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you are to say. How cool is that? The Holy Spirit is a little spontaneous, okay? We just, we just read that here. The Holy Spirit teaches you, I wish, I'm, trust me, I am a planner and a preparer and a goal setter. It drives me a little batty about this attribute of God through the Holy Spirit, but he knows that and we're good with it. He, he, he can have his way, even if I'm not prepared for it, he, just, he can have his way. But some teach that the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force. Um, you know, in fact, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe this, an impersonal force, and I had a whole lot of fun with that one whenever they sat in my couch and challenged me. I'm like, so who conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary? Well, the Holy Spirit. I'm like, that's pretty personal. And how many other people were walking around and boom, impregnated? Because if it's just an impersonal force, I mean, there should be like, whoa, waves and groves of women just being, you know, miraculous anyways. It's just it's a bunch of, obviously it's not true. There's so many other scriptures you can go into, too, but that's just a fun one to have fun with. Um, they get really red in the face and run out of your house and tell, them that you're, tell you that you're Satan and they will never come back again. This literally happened. You can ask Becky. It's so much fun. When you don't have your Bible with you, so you open their Bible and what about this, you know? And you don't have to worry about what you're going to say. The Spirit will tell you what to say. And it's so much fun when the Spirit gives you what to say, when to say it. Is, oh, I love it. Okay, anyways. I'm digressing. I'm digressing. Um, oh, my goodness. But anyways, it doesn't get much more personal than spontaneous teaching, giving you the words to say right when you need them. And the Holy Spirit will do that. Jesus promised it. He will teach you exactly at that time what you are to say. And then he goes on this parable, verse 13. Um, yeah, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. <laughs> Talk about someone who just doesn't get it. Just doesn't. What does this have to do with what Jesus is teaching? I have no idea. In fact, Jesus feels the same way. He's teaching these deep revelations about the kingdom of God. And this guy's just focused on getting his fair share of his earthly booty, right? His inheritance. How often do we get so caught up in family arguments and disputes that we forget that the things of this earth really don't matter anyways. We're going to be leaving it all behind. And Jesus replied, and I love this, Man, who appointed me as a judge or as an arbitrator between the two of you? And then he said to everyone, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. 
Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. Then he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I got no place to store my crops. I think some of y'all are having a problem right now, right? What am I going to do? Everything's all sprouting all at the same time. It's harvest season. He said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll store my surplus of grain. Then I'll say to myself, you got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy. Kick back. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fall this very night. Your life is demanded from you. Then you'll get. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Jesus said, don't worry. Don't worry about life, what you're going to eat. Your body, what you're going to wear. Life is worth, life is more than food. The body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than of birds? Another reminder of your worth and value before God. Who of you, and then Jesus just gets a little practical here, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? No one, right? In fact, you steal away life when you worry. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And then he goes on and on and on, and we know that he will give us those things. In verse 32, Jesus ends by saying, don't be afraid. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide treasure in heaven that will never fail, right? Where no thief can ever come, where no moth can ever destroy. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So, and here we go again. We heard this the last two weeks. You're hearing it for the third week in a row. If Jesus keeps saying this, he's saying it for a reason. Be dressed and ready for service. And remember last week, and keep your lamps burning. This isn't the same place where he gave that parable. This is after he gave that parable. Isn't that cool? He referred back to his own parable. Keep your lamps burning. Be ready. Be ready. And so we're going to be closing out here. As soon as I scroll back down. Be ready. Be serving. Keep the fire of God burning brightly in your life. It's really all that matters. It doesn't matter what impurities the world sees. You know, you can have all kinds of scuffs and marks and cracks, you know, in that lamp. But at the end of the day, when things get rough, all that the world is really going to care about is that light that you're carrying. That fire that burns bright despite your imperfections. And that is none other than the presence of God. So don't be ashamed or embarrassed by your weaknesses and your sin. All that they do is point to how great God is. If he accepts me this way, he'll accept you your way. And he'll do great and mighty things in and through your life. You don't got to clean up your act. You don't got to be a perfect pot, right? We're a bunch of cracked pots and uh, he accepts us that way and he fills us and burns brightly through us. We are fully known, fully understood by God. So stop trying to live a masquerade or acting like you're something you're not. Just be yourself. And in your weakness then, God 
will begin to be able to be strong. We are fully known and yet fully loved. We can come boldly and confidently before God's throne of grace and to have every single one of our needs met. We can be empowered by the grace of God to be a public witness for Jesus. A public witness for Jesus. Even though we're imperfect, it is through our imperfections that the perfectness of Christ can shine the brightest. So let's go out there and do that. Just be yourself. Be yourself. Let all the weight of those expectations that you have put on yourself and others have put on you just melt away in the fire of God. Let him burn those things away so that you can say, well, here I am. Send me. Whew. Let's pray. So Jesus, we thank you for accepting us just as we are, loving us perfectly, and loving us so much that you begin to burn away all those imperfections, all that sin in my life. You forgive it totally and completely. You empower me by your grace to not sin tomorrow. And Lord, it is through that act that you can shine bright in our lives because it's not us, it's you. Anything good that we are is a work that you have done, Lord. So right now, we give you permission to break off of our lives all fear, all fear of man, all worry and anxiety about what people are going to think, about what people are going to say. We want to just be who you created us to be. That's our heart's desire. We don't want anything more or anything less because we know that is your purpose for our lives is to be who you created us to be. So we thank you for it. Thank you for your love. Thank you for fully knowing us, fully understanding us, and fully loving us in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now if I could have the altar team come forward, and they are here to pray for you, to believe with you, and to stand with you on God's word. The altars are open. If you just want to get alone between you and the Lord, that's what this place has been purposed for. But even if you're a little ashamed and embarrassed right now to do those things, just go seek out the Lord. He hears you wherever you're at, whatever you're doing. And have some fun in the presence of God being you. Be blessed.